Uh, let's, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to give you a kind of a heads up on this a little bit. Um, today, we don't, we're just finishing out. I was going to start into the next one, and I thought, well, and then we'll be rushing it just a little bit too much. We'll just get started into that next one and have to stop. So we'll, we'll probably end a little bit sooner today um, just to finish this one out. But what I, what I am going to plan on doing, I know we usually start around 10, 10. That gives everybody time to get here at 10 and then eat donuts and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to try to start just a, a few minutes sooner than that. So like 10 on 5, just so you that, kind of have that in the back of your mind. Uh, give us a, a few more minutes, and uh, that way we don't feel so rushed when we're trying to get through some of these things. And um, I know for the most part it's, it's all right, but, but um, just to have that in the back of your mind, we'll start, try to start around 10.05. We don't really need to start much sooner than that. But anyway, let's go, let's just kind of by way of review go back and look at what we're talking about. Of course, this is roadblocks, and by roadblocks we're talking about conflict and any good relationship uh, any relationship is going to have some conflicts, all right? Uh, you live in close proximity to somebody for any length of time, and there's going to be a conflict at some point. It doesn't have to be something that ruins you. It doesn't have to be something that ruins the relationship, but you have to be able to figure out how to get around those things and how to fight through them and how to come out on the other side without, you know, uh, being too banged up. So how conflict escalates, I think, is, um, is one of the important things to understand. And if we understand how it gets to that point, then it should be easier to resolve the conflict. And we're going to talk about resolving those conflicts today. But uh, conflict starts because of a failure to acknowledge the problem. Many times that's what happens. Well, there's nothing wrong here, and there is something wrong. And then it builds and builds and builds and builds, and then we got something that's way bigger than what we feel like we can handle. Second reason, or the second way that conflict is... is um, uh, starts or, or builds is withdrawal from real relational relationship development. They just feel like that intimacy that should be that should be there in a marriage between a husband and a wife, that closeness that they ought to feel is just not possible. And so they give up on it. Uh, the third thing is spiritualizing the problem. And basically with that, we said that, well, the devil is just after us. Yes, he is after you, but that's not just the problem. There is a root. I mean, that might be a root cause which we talked about those too, some of the root causes of problems in a, in a relationship, but that's not the main cause, and we, need to, we, need to, we can't just use that as an excuse and not do anything about it. The, the fourth thing then is gunny sacking, and that, by that we mean basically just putting everything in a little sack that when the time comes, we can pull everything out and, well, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. That's, that's not a, a resolution either. Uh, basically because the Bible says very clearly in Isaiah 43, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgression for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. If God, who is the ultimate judge, does not remember our sins, then certainly we shouldn't be doing that to uh, our spouse either. The fifth thing is attacking the person instead of the problem. Um, how is it that people can be so in love and get married and, and live happily ever after for a couple years, and then get to the point where they can't even stand to be around each other. I don't know how I ever fell in love with this person in the first place. Well, it's because you've attacked the person so much instead of the problem. It's not the person that's the issue. It's the problems that are being caused between you. And so if you attack those problems, then you're attacking it together. Now you're a team instead of enemies. So attack the problem, not the person. The sixth thing is blaming your spouse. I'm the way I am because they do this. No, it's not their fault, it's yours. That goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, 
Uh, and uh, it's just part of the fallen nature to pass the buck to somebody else. Seven is desiring to win at any cost. There are some arguments that are better lost. Um, nobody really wins when it comes to marital strife. And so, you know, you might think that you've won a battle, but what you've done is really robbed a piece of your spouse's heart, and that doesn't help. So desiring to win at any cost is, is definitely um, a hindrance, a roadblock. The next one is giving in to avoid conflict. And we talked about that. Giving in, in a spirit of humility, can be a perfectly fine um, answer. But when you give in just to resolve the conflict, so the, the fighting will stop or whatever else, and the conflict is not actually resolved, then we didn't help anything. All we did was kick the can down the road till we run into the next conflict. Uh, and then we said letter I is buying a gift. And again, that's, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with buying something for your spouse, especially a husband for a wife, showing her that he loves her. But if you're going to try to buy her off just to make some appeasement in the marriage and not actually get to the root of the problem, then you're still you're doing the same thing as all of these others. Yes, it can help. It can help toward a resolution. You know, it can kind of... Okay, all right, let's sit down and talk about it. You know, here's some chocolate. Now, will you stop yelling at me? No, but, but the thing is, if all you're doing is buying a gift so that you can make things right for a night or two nights or a week, then that doesn't help anything. You're still not getting to the root of the problem. And then, of course, the last one is becoming angry. That helps nothing. James 1.20, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The Bible says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Right? But grievous words stir up anger. So, we, we review those today to get to this point, how conflict resolves. And you can tell, obviously, there are no points that we're going to write down today. All verses. And um, since we're not writing anything down, maybe you can turn to some of these verses in your Bible and kind of look at some of these, underline them maybe, make a, a note. Uh, we are going to make a, quite a few notes, so you, you may, you may want to have this um, uh, piece of paper out there and, and make a few notes on this, but... Perhaps there's no uh, area of our lives that reveals our walk with the Lord than relational conflict. When we have conflict in our relationship with our spouse, then it's a usually a good indication that we are having uh, not a very good relationship with the Lord. Because the more you walk and the closer you walk to the Lord, the less, you know, the less... Um, strife there's going to be, the less conflict there's going to be in your marriage. And that's because, you know, during moments of conflict, our, our raw responses reveal the true nature of our heart. You know, when people get angry, they say what's really there. What does the Bible say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? And so, well, I didn't really mean to say that. Well, it's obviously there or you wouldn't have said it, Right? Um, you know, somebody slips up and, and curses or something like that. I have no idea where that came from. Well, I can tell you what's happening. You're watching a whole lot of things where you're hearing it. And, and, and I know sometimes you might be around people at work that you can't help that are constantly cursing and, and you hear it so much that eventually it slips out. But that's what's there or it wouldn't come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And that's why I say that when there is strife in your relationship and when you're not getting along in your relationship, that's a very good indication that your relationship with God is not what it's supposed to be either. Because if your relationship with God was right, then what would come out of your mouth would be grace. What would come out of your mouth would be basically conflict resolution. And so a spiritual Christian will take what seems like a, a large matter and, and, and make it smaller by responding properly. And a carnal Christian does the exact opposite of that. A carnal Christian takes what 
could be something small and just makes it way bigger than it needs to be. Um, pretend that everywhere you go, you carry two buckets with you. And one was filled with gasoline and the other one was filled with water. And you can, you can probably picture where I'm going with this. But a little small fire starts in the kitchen. Or let's not say the kitchen. Let's say outside somewhere. Actually, we had that happen this week. Um, it was the day, what was it? Uh, t- uh, Thursday. Thursday, because I was, I was headed up to the um, police graduation to do the invocation for the police graduation. And I was still on our road. I was almost to 288, and, and Becca calls me. And I can hear all this hollering in the background and screaming. I'm like, what is going on over there? Well, I got Jackson and Alex to, we, we burn all the paper and cardboard and everything else. So we, you know, in Powhatan, you can take your trash to the dump for free. So we don't get, you know, we don't have to pay for anybody to come pick it up. So we burn all the cardboard and paper and everything else just to not have to go to the dump as often. And so we keep it in one of the sheds. And then when it, get, when it builds up, I have them go burn it. Well, it was really windy. So we have that little burn barrel. I'm sure you've seen it at our house. And so I told them to burn everything in there. I have no idea how because the thing is completely closed in and it's got a door on the front of it. But something blew out of there and landed in the grass and started the grass on fire. And instead of just going and getting something to put the fire out, they panicked. <laughs> and so they come up in the house screaming about, you know, eh, the, the whole woods are on fire. I mean, and it was, you know, I mean, it was a little bit of wood that was on, you know, a little bit of the grass that was on fire. But uh, Becca was able to go up and get a bucket of water and eventually was able to put it out. But uh, imagine if instead of dumping a bucket of water on that, you dumped a bucket of gasoline, Right. So you take something that could have stayed small and would have stayed small if you dumped water on it and eventually would have put it out and dumped gasoline on it instead. Now you've got a huge fire on your hands and a huge mess on your hands when it didn't have to be that way. And so um, our choice, really, when any conflict happens in a marriage, uh, or and I, and I mentioned this last week, but this is any conflict anywhere. It doesn't even have to be just in a marriage. It can be at work. It can be anywhere, you know? You have the choice on whether you're going to dump a bucket of water on it or you're going to dump a bucket of gasoline on it. And your response is either a bucket of water or a bucket of gasoline. And the closer we are to God, the better our relationship with God is, the more we're filling up that bucket of water and not the bucket of gasoline. I use this illustration a lot because I think it, 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 it illustrates it so well. But if you were to take a triangle and the husband was on the bottom corner and the wife was on the bottom on the other corner and God is at the top, You see what happens, the closer you get to God, what happens? The closer you get to each other, right? And that's exactly the way that a marriage works. The closer you get to God, the better your relationship to each other is going to be, and the better you're going to be at at this uh, conflict resolution. And it it takes a lot of forms and actions in the moment of conflict, but there's one basic response that we should offer anytime we come into a conflict with somebody else, especially our spouse. Uh, and that's grace. We should give grace to our spouse. And the good news is that God freely gives us grace. It's not something you have to go buy. It's not something you have to work for or anything else. God gives it to us. We should be willing to give it to somebody else. Grace is that God-given desire and ability to please God. That's what grace is. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But what does grace look like during times of conflict? That's what I want to give you this morning. And we'll look at a bunch of different ways that grace is used. And in each one of these, honestly, each one of these verses that we're going to look at is tied to one way that we can respond with grace. So the first thing is, 
And we're going to look at James chapter 1 and verse 19. So you can maybe put this right next to it, or I don't know why they wouldn't have put um, uh, blanks in here, because these are actually really good statements. But grace is listening to your spouse rather than withdrawing or shooting back with cutting words. Grace is actually listening to your spouse rather than withdrawing or shooting back with cutting words. And remember, we said there's a ditch on both sides of this road. The ditch on the one side is basically the cutting words and tearing down with your words. The ditch on the other side is just not saying anything at all and not resolving anything. And we want to stay in between those. So how do you keep yourself from from saying something that you shouldn't say or from not saying something that should be said? Grace, listening rather than withdrawing or shooting back with cutting words. James chapter 1 and verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I'm sure you've heard your grandmother say it more than one time. That's why God gave you two ears and one mouth, right? Because we should listen twice as much as we speak. And that's true. I mean, I know it's an old adage, but that's exactly what this verse is talking about and telling us that we should do. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. And then that's going to also make you slow to wrath. Here's the second one. Grace is bearing with your spouse's weakness rather than exploiting them and finding ways to push their buttons. How many people have done that in a marriage or in a dorm room or in a workplace or something like that, right? I know my brothers used to do that to me when we were growing up. They knew the things that would make me mad, and so they'd push those buttons until finally it blew up, right? That's not what we ought to be doing in a relationship. You know the things that make your spouse mad. And the more you do those things, the less that is responding with grace and the more that that's raising that conflict in marriage. So grace is bearing with your spouse's weakness rather than exploiting them and finding ways to push their buttons. Here's another one. Actually, we didn't read, but Romans 15.1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. I mean, look, both of us are weak, right? We both have weaknesses. So, well, I just can't stand it when you do that. How can I? I can't bear that. Well, they bear things that you do. God bears everything that you do, right? We ought to bear the, bear, the, uh, bear the infirmities of the weak. Here's another one. Grace is being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit when he prompts you to apologize for hurtful words or actions. That's a tough one, right? Who wants to go back and say, you know what? We had this big argument. I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said it that way. I shouldn't have, you know, whatever. The Holy Spirit prompts you to do those things and to apologize, and if, and if we're, not, we're not sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, then we're not responding with grace. Romans 14, 19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Here's another one. Grace is taking time to seek God's wisdom together rather than relying on your own understanding when you have a difference of opinion, right? Study the Bible together. Read the Bible together. You have a conflict with something? Well, let's, let's go to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about it. And, you know, you're not using the Bible as a weapon. It's using the Bible in a way to really try to understand what we should be doing. And uh, Proverbs 24 and verse 3, through wisdom is in house builded, and by understanding it is established. So uh, grace is taking time to seek God's wisdom together rather than relying on your own understanding when you have a difference of opinion. Here's another one. Grace is being the one to suggest that you kneel together in prayer. Asking God to help you work through the disagreement. You know, um, in fact, in Matthew chapter 18, and just for the sake of time, we won't, we won't turn over there, but if you look in Matthew 18, the whole passage there is, the whole context of that passage is, is um, it's, it's really given in the, con- in the context of resolving conflicts, um, resolving disagreements. 
And he says this in Matthew 18 and verse 19. And again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Think about that. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Meaning, we really need this church building, whatever. Two of us agree on that. Let's go pray. Let's ask God to do that for us. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. You have a conflict that you're trying to resolve, and you both come to the resolution that we need to get this resolved. Let's pray about it. That if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. That ought to be the first thing we do. Well, we don't have any other choice. Let's pray. Now, that ought to be the first thing that you do when you come into a conflict resolution. And look. If that's, your, if that's your habit, if that's what you do every time you have a conflict resolution, uh, every time you have a conflict, then every time I, you're going to have a resolution because God will bless that. And how do you get mad at somebody that wants to kneel down and pray with you about the, ma- about the matter, you know? Uh, and so that's a, great, that's a great resolution to a conflict. But that's what grace is, being the one to suggest that you kneel down and pray about it together. Here's another one. Grace is being courteous to your spouse when you feel insulted or hurt. And again, I'm telling you, these things just fit in every area of our life, not just with your spouse, but, but they fit obviously really well with that. Grace is being courteous to your spouse when you feel hurt. Can't believe they said that to me, but I'm not going to respond in anger. I'm going to respond with grace. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. So be, be courteous to your spouse when you feel insulted or hurt. Grace is being willing to humble yourself to seek godly counsel when needed. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make. Well, we can't go ask anybody to help us, then they'll know that we have problems, and then how are they going to look at us, and then what are they going to think about us, right? Um, but sometimes... There is really no resolution other than to get godly counsel. If you cannot come to a resolution on, well, I think we ought to be doing it this way. Well, no, I I think we ought to be doing it this way. And as much grace as you can put into it, you just can't come to a resolution. Well, that's what godly counsel is there for. And the Bible talks about that a lot in in Proverbs and and everywhere else. But, uh, you know... With, in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. In a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom, right? That's why God gives you counselors. And they don't, look, if somebody comes to me and asks me for help or asks me for, you know, what do we ought to do, I don't, I cannot tell you what God's will is for your life. And I don't know what you should do for sure. I can sure give you some guidance. I can sure give you some suggestions, but the Holy Spirit has to do that work. And I just pray that when, when I talk to some, somebody that needs help, that God gives me the right words to say that'll be the most effective for those people and what they need and how they can help themselves get back on track under the leading of the Holy Spirit. I don't know, you know, I don't know everything that goes on, especially when it comes to marriage, because you know what happens, the, the one person comes and they give their entire side, and then the other person comes and they give the exact opposite side. There's three sides to every story. There's your side, there's his side, and then there's the truth somewhere in the middle. And that's usually the way that it works. And so, can a counselor fix everything? Not necessarily, but a counselor can give you advice. A counselor can, can give you godly wisdom. And 99 times out of 100, it should be 100 times out of 100, but 99 times out of 100, a counselor has no ulterior motive other than to see your marriage work. You know, And so 
Grace is, is being willing to humble yourself to seek godly counsel when it's needed. First Peter 5, 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Grace is freely asking for and giving forgiveness. And that keep a clean slate between both of you. If you're willing to ask forgiveness and you're willing to give forgiveness, then what kind of conflict is there? You know, but it takes grace to be able to do that. If you ask me for forgiveness, no, I can't forgive you. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. You, you know, you want them to forgive you for the things that you do, you know, and you expect them to do that. Why can't you do that for them? Grace is, is asking for forgiveness, which is also humility, because if you're asking for forgiveness, that means you're admitting that you were wrong. It means you're humbling yourself enough to say, I need you to forgive me for this. But the other thing is, having the grace to give forgiveness. If somebody is willing to humble themselves enough to come and ask you for forgiveness, why would you not forgive them? You know? Not to mention the fact that the Bible says, you know, Peter came and said, well, we've already forgiven him seven times. We have to forgive him again. And Jesus said, what? Forgive him 70 times seven. That's 490 times. You know, you'd think after the 489th time, you'd say, all right, that's enough. You know, no, 490 times. And what he was saying is, you should forgive them as many times as they need forgiveness, right? Not, I mean, 490, because who's counting? Once you get past, you know, 300, who's counting anymore, right? Uh, once you get past 10, who's counting anymore? The thing is, you also cannot, you have to make sure that you're not being taken advantage of either and not keep putting yourself into a situation where those kind of things happen. But if you're in a marriage, you can't help it. <laughs> you're stuck to that person, you know? Um, and so... Uh, grace is asking for and giving that forgiveness. Luke 17, 4, and if he trespass again, uh, if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. In other words, if he, if he does something to you seven times, and every one of those seven times he comes back and says, I'm sorry, I can't believe I did that. Can you forgive me? What does he say? Thou shalt forgive him. You don't have a choice. You shall, you will forgive him. So responding with grace is the result of humbling yourself before the Lord. Um, when you humble yourself before God, responding with grace is not a hard thing. Uh, the reason we can't uh, a lot of times, it's, it's the opposite of our natural response to conflict. Most of the time that our, our pride rises up and no, I'm not wrong. She's wrong. He's wrong. I can't. No, I'm not. Why would I give into that? That's, that's just because that's our that's our fallen nature. That's our flesh. And when we give in to the Holy Spirit, when we give in to God's leading, all of these things, everything that we just talked about, about responding with grace, will happen. Pride is the gasoline. Humility is the water. And that's the bucket. Which bucket are you filling? Are you filling up the bucket full of pride, or are you filling up the bucket full of humility? Because that's how you're going to respond in a conflict. And if you're throwing pride at it all the time, all you're going to do is just, I mean, it's just going to, it's going to turn into something that you can't control. But if you're constantly throwing humility at it, it's going to be something you can control and it's going to resolve conflicts. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18 talks about basically telling us to pour water on the fires of conflict. Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That is about as clear as it can get, as much as possible. Well, it's not possible with that person, but it doesn't rely on that person, does it? What does it say? 
as much as lieth in who? You. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. You can't control your spouse. A lot of times you can't control sources of conflict, but you can control your responses. Pour water. If you control your responses, then you're basically, essentially, controlling your spouse's responses. Because if you respond in humility, if you respond with kind words, then most likely, guess what you're going to get back? Humility and kind words. If you respond in anger and pride, guess what you're going to get back? More than likely, anger and pride. Jerusalem is... The name literally means city of peace, but it's been a hotbed of, of really just war between several different nations for centuries and centuries and centuries. Why is that? It's primarily on, on account of the Temple Mount, because the Temple Mount, and it's, I, it's the most sacred piece of real estate on earth is really what it is, but the Muslims claim it, the Jews claim it, and Christians all claim it as literally the most sacred place in their religion, Right? And so they've been fighting over that. The entire city has just kind of become an ongoing location of conflict. But, but if you think about it, the conflict that arises in Jerusalem does not arise because the city's worthless. It's actually the exact opposite. It's because that city is very valuable. And there's conflict over it because people want it um, because of what it means, because of the value of it. And, and it's the same way with a marriage. It's because of the value and the significance of your relationship that God wants your marriage and the devil wants your marriage. And they're both fighting over it because the devil knows that if he can get it, he can control a whole lot of things. And God knows that if he can get it, he, control, can, he can control a whole lot of things. And so, you know, I, I just think about what would happen if, if each of you covenanted with the Lord and with each other rather than fighting against each other. You know, make a covenant that we're going to resolve conflicts um, and make a, make a covenant that we're going to fight together for our marriage rather than against each other in our marriage. What, what could happen if you determined that no conflict would be allowed to tear you apart from one another? You know, think about it. And it, and, and it takes humility. It takes grace. It takes all of those things. But somebody has to be the one to step up and say, all right, I'm going to give grace. All right, I'm going to give humility. I'm going to pour water, not gasoline. And it, it might be hard the first few times because you've never done that before. You've always poured gasoline on the fires. But once you start doing it and your spouse starts responding, then guess what's going to happen when something happens and your spouse has to respond? They're going to respond the same way that you always respond. Conflict in a marriage is, is inevitable. It's going to happen. If you've been married for any length of time, you know that. But it doesn't have to be a lifelong war. And that's what most people turn it into. And then finally, after 25 years of marriage, you know what? I just I can't deal with it anymore. I'm done. Right? Because they've been fighting this war the entire time that they've been married. It can be simply a roadblock or two people, both filled with grace and both feel, filled with humility, learn how to navigate around those roadblocks. And we can do that. That's what God's given us so many things. I mean, all of these verses that we looked at today, all the verses that we've looked at over the last few days, all fit right in line with that. Grace and humility, that's pouring water versus pride and anger, that's pouring gasoline, and that doesn't help anything. Let's make sure that we respond with grace and humility, and I can guarantee you that no matter what the conflict is, we'll be able to resolve it together. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed for the next service. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the, the word of God. 
I thank you for the clear instruction that we have in the Word of God, and I know things are not always easy to do, but they work. And I pray that you'd help each one of us in our relationships to, to evaluate where we are and to make sure that we're responding in the right way and responding with grace, and of course, that above everything else, our relationship with you would be right. I pray that you be with our service here in the next hour. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.